This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Karen Chatton from Gardnerville, Nevada. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 10th, episode 1794. Good morning, Horse World. When your start time's on Saturday and your finish time's on Sunday, and it doesn't get much better than best conditioned... And completing the challenge is the challenge. You're an endurance rider. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. But don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning. Of course, it is Endurance Day, and we have Karen Chatton back with us. Hi, Karen. Good morning. I I said this morning in the pre-show meeting that it seems like forever since we've talked, and it has been because we missed last month because of Irma. We did. Yeah, I know you had had guests booked and everything, and it was like, nope, uh, Irma has a different plan for us, and uh, (laughs) we didn't get to do the show. But So it's good to have you back. Of course, Karen is here the second Tuesday of every month for like the last 20 years, and uh, it seems like it. (laughs) It seems like you've been doing the show a long time. It's been a few years. It has been a few years. And of course, we talk all things endurance, and Jennifer is going to tell us what is coming up on today's show. Coming up on today's endurance episode, overall winner at the 100-mile distance in this year's AERC National Championship ride, Dr. Gwen Hall is going to stop by and tell us all about how she did it. And then Sarah Schick stops by to chat about qualifying for WEG coming up in less than a year. And Karen has an an important equipment PSA about how not to look (laughs) when you do the trot out for the vet. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. <laughs> well, Karen, there's been a lot going on in the in the world of uh, endurance. It's it's like the high season, right? Yes, we've had a lot of uh, big events going on for a lot of people in, in several different regions. We've had the AARC National Championship. We had the AHA Distance Nationals just this past weekend. Um, The Young Riders team went to Italy to complete, where they had four of their riders all finish. So congratulations to to all of the riders that participated in all of these events. Um, So we'll, you know, talk about all of this a little bit during the show today. But, you know, first I want to talk about and give our thoughts and prayers to everybody dealing with the fires that have sprung up in California just quickly. It seems like it seems like every day here in the show we're talking about some natural disaster going on in this country uh, over the last month. Uh, and boy, the fires are wicked. And I know you, you, I know we have listeners out there that have had to evacuate with their horses, and you have some uh, friends also in the endurance world. Right, right. Yes, I woke up yesterday morning and had just tons of messages 
on Facebook from friends and acquaintances that I know that were either evacuating, had already been evacuated, or were getting ready to. And they had so little warning because of the high winds. And there's like, I don't know, at that time there were over a dozen fires. Now I believe it's like 15 or 17. And uh, it's obliterated entire neighborhoods. Um, commercial buildings, um, big box stores have burned down. It's just um, kind of crazy, I, you know. And I know some people, obviously, um, gosh, 1,500 homes and buildings have been lost so far, and several people have died. Um, so it, it's and it's uh, all up and down. You know, San Francisco area, obviously Napa States, Valley above San Francisco is really getting hit. Um, mm-hmm. But then I saw the pictures out of Disneyland yesterday, and just smoke. As a matter of fact, I think they they closed Disneyland at one point, um, just because of the fires in the hills there. Sure, yeah. Southern California's got those, you know, um, infamous Santa Ana winds, which we always called that fire season. <laughs> and, um, you, you know, it's we always joke about California, the land of natural disasters. It's fires, you know, floods and earthquakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, unfortunately, uh, just it, what's crazy is that this many fires cropped up so quickly overnight. Yeah, and they were they were happening fast, and and uh, it's not over yet. I read a report this morning that the uh, fire brigades in California are saying they have zero containment of the fires. Yeah, uh, and they need more funding. I know their resources are stretched way beyond their ability. I, a local firefighter posted that um, in some areas they're just having to choose to let stuff burn because they don't have the resources. So they're focusing on trying to save as many lives as they can. But in some cases, they're not always um, able to, to put up the defense they would like just because they are you know, spread so thin. And I did see pictures of, you know, people walking their horses down the middle of streets and towns and cities, and it was just anything to get out. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is one of those, like, tornadoes where there just isn't time. Like a hurricane, we had time to prepare, right? Right. It, 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 there's just right. not time to prepare, and it, it's scary as all get out. Right. So our thoughts and prayers to everybody that's having to deal with this and their friends and family right now. Let's hope everybody can get out away from the fires and stay safe. That's the most important thing. Now, uh, to get to some happy news, I have to congratulate you. You got a new patch for the AERC, which is the American Endurance Ride Conference. And your patch says 38,000 miles on it. Yes, it does. That's just (laughs) crazy. That's just craziness, Karen. It's a lot of miles. It's a lot of miles. I was laughing because I sent a phone. I've my sold dad. cars with less miles than that. I know, <laughs> I know. And and I sent I was so excited. I sent a picture to my dad and, and he's recently gotten his first smartphone ever. Oh my god. Oh, does Story that mean you're spending hours on. teaching him? <laughs> oh dear. It's it's funny. It's the funniest thing ever. But um he's like, Oh yeah, I saw the photo with that thirty eight hundred mile thing on it. <laughs> No, that was 20 years ago, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so how uh, many have hit 38,000 miles? And by the way, that's 38,000 miles ridden in competition, right? Right, okay. right. Yes, I've actually ridden quite a bit more than that. Um, right, yeah, overall. you do have to practice. But 
<laughs> right. And doing trail clearing and trail marking and um, just pleasure riding and stuff over the years. But um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it took a long time to get that many miles. How many, how many people actually reach that? You know, I only think maybe four or five. Wow. You're a legend. Are you in the Hall of Fame yet? No, but my horse is. When when are you getting in the Hall of Fame? Do you have to be dead first? Because a lot of Hall of Fames are like that. (laughs) Well, let's hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, they usually wait till someone's at the end of their career, I think, you know. Where Um, is the Hall of Fame anyway? In Auburn, California. Oh really? Okay, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know where, where it was. Endurance, modern endurance, basically was started with Wendell Roby and the Tevis Cup, and then uh, in the early seventies they formed the AERC and got that going. Well, I'm and, putting out a bid that they hurry up and get you inducted, so then we can introduce <laughs> you as the Hall of Fame, Karen Chatton. Okay, <laughs> I'm, that's what I'm saying. I think that that should happen soon. Someday. Yeah, soon. Well, we uh, do have some uh, news from the world of competitive endurance, right? Well, let's see. The AERC National Championship was held in August, and the ride manager was Tennessee Lane, who we had on on our last show after she placed first and won the Tevis Cup. And uh, the results, let me tell you what the results are. On the 100-miler... Uh, there were 14 started and eight finished. Gwen Hall riding size does not matter. Who's coming up? First, who's coming up next? And I really and want to know how the- she got the name. And Hannah Pruce and Courageous <clears throat> Hope won best condition. On the 50-mile distance, 34 started, 31 finished. And the winner was uh, Samantha Browneller riding K2 and best condition. Went to Jennifer Poling riding Eagle Bacay or Bacal. Sorry if I mispronounced that. And then we had the, um, the distance nationals that just happened over the weekend. And I know uh, without looking, the the first place finisher on the 50 was John Stevens. And then the next day was the 100 and uh, first place went to uh, John and Diane Stevens, who finished together with Diane, actually, I believe, was placed first. So someday I'd like to have them on the show to, to talk to. I know they... They posted a post on the Renegade boot page that they were both wearing Renegade glue-on boots for this ride. So congratulations to all of these riders that participated on both of those events. Very good. And also there was, uh, the, the of course, the kids riding over in Italy, right? Yes, the young riders, which we'll try to catch up with them maybe next month and, and see what, what they're up to. We had three Americans and one Canadian complete the 75-mile FEI World Endurance Championships for young riders and juniors. And those riders were Ansley Susky, Anya Leverman, Annie Whelan, and Reagan Kelly. 
And their finish times ranged from 7 hours and 40 minutes to 8 hours and 16. The ride was one in 4 hours and 58 minutes, and that was a 75-mile ride. And uh, so congratulations to them. That, I'm sure, was an adventure of a lifetime getting to go to Italy. 4 hours and 58 minutes. That's pretty booking. To go 75 miles, (laughs) yes. That's booking. It is. It is. Yeah, the times are, are, are have gotten quite fast on the international level, um, wow. you know, and I think a lot of that's the courses allow that, whereas here we have many hundreds like Tevis or Virginia City where um, the train just doesn't allow you to go that fast. Well, I also wanted to mention that uh, the the documentary film that is out now and has been premiered at the Hot Springs Documentary Film Festival, and that is All the Wild Horses. I, I know we talked about that before. We've had Devin Horn on, on many of our shows before. And this is uh, all about all about riding in Mongolia, the Mongol Derby. And it was the year that Devin, they really followed Devin's ride, and she got to uh-huh. see it for the first time. She hadn't seen it yet. Uh, and that happened the other night. She wrote to me and said it was incredible. She said, I was on pins and needles, and I had ridden the race. <laughs> wow. So she said it was so well done. The photography is beautiful. They had used drones and all kinds of stuff. And, she, and, and they had riders riding along and using these fancy cameras and things. And she said it was well beyond what she thought it would be. And it will be coming out to film festivals in and out. I think oh, okay. they were talking it'll be out like to the public in uh, December or January. We're going to try and have uh, Evo on, who was the producer of the movie. We've had him on before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to try and get him back to talk about that. But it, it apparently showcases the Mongol Derby and distance riding better than any other documentary has. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Good. Yeah, that sounds fun. And then you're going to talk a little bit about your endurance tip of the week. Right. Well, I'm just going to talk about horse collars, and I may or may not have covered this before, but I get asked a lot about my collars because I use a collar on my horse. Yeah, and you know, not, I don't think, you know, the average person probably has never used a collar. Probably not unless they have a stallion. A, yeah. a lot of stallion riders will both halter and use a collar so that the horse is double tied when if they're traveling. Um, but uh, this is something I started using several years ago when I went on the long XP ride to ride across country because I knew from the time before when I did it that when they're wearing halters for weeks at a time, um, it in the heat and humidity, it will rub a lot of the hair off. And so using a uh, collar kind of helps eliminate that. Um, the, the collars are also very, very convenient because you can tack up and untack. Uh, well, explain to people back- what they are and what, what you, for those that have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. A neck collar is basically, it's kind of like using a collar on your dog, except you're using it on your horse. And you want one that's sturdy enough, but also has some breakaway points on it. So like using something like leather hobbles would not be a good idea because if your horse were to get into a wreck, it's probably not going to give. So you do want something that will break away if it ever you know, comes to that. Now, the benefit of having a collar is that it's less likely for your horse to get caught and tangled, at least if you 
you know, specifically train your horse and tie correctly when you're using it. And that's what I wanted to cover a little bit is, um, you know, some of the benefits, you know, the pros and cons of using one because they're not for every horse. If your horse doesn't tie well in a halter or pulls back, then using a collar is probably not, you know, going to be in the best interest for your horse. But if your horse does tie well and, you know, you travel a lot or you go to a lot of events, you know, and you get your horse used to one ahead of time and train them to use it at home safely, then they can be a real nice, you know, benefit. So you would use this overnight instead of tying to the halter? Yes. Okay. And I use it when I trailer. um, Oh, you do? You use it when you trailer? Yes. Yes. And I use it. I mean, I don't, even the only time I'll put like a halter on the horse is if I'm tacking up to do an actual ride. Um, you know, if you, you, if you use fly masks, um, you know, you can go get, you know, if you need to go get your horse and bring it in to, you know, groom it, put a fly mask on, then, you know, there's nothing underneath to interfere or worry about getting caught because, um, you know, you can use, use a collar, um, the one thing I like about it is because the collar rotates around the neck when they lie down. If you have them like on a trailer tie or something, they can lie down and the collar will rotate to the top of their neck. So you can tie their, their ropes about five to seven inches shorter than you would if they were wearing a collar. So that lessens the chance of them getting a leg caught because I mean, every endurance horse I've ever had, always has to at least once put a, you know, scratch their ear with a hind leg and then proceed to put it over their tie rope. Mm. And they do that. It's like I said, every horse has done it like one time and then they don't do it again. (laughs) Um, But the chance of it happening is definitely My pony would do it again, by the way. He would (laughs) over and over and over. (laughs) (laughs) that's why you want to have a breakaway you you know something that will give and also uh, i like to have a quick release on my tie rope now you don't put the quick release on the horse end because they can too easily rub and and that's the other nice thing when you come in from a ride or an endurance ride uh, you can put the collar on and immediately pull the whole you know bridle and and you know, head stall off. And now your horse can rub all he wants on his buckets and, and hay bags or whatever. And he's not going to catch anything on it because there's no more anything on his head. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of benefits to using these collars. Um, they're not, like I said, they're not for every horse. You do need to practice, especially if you're going to use them to try and your use a breakaway out. collar. Um, well, it's not a breakaway collar, but it's got brass hardware on right. it, and it's biothane. So, that oh, so you it do will... use biothane. We always use leather. So that's right, right. Yes, I, I use biothane because mine has an overlay that's reflective, hmm. so okay. that you can see it in the dark. And uh, and just to mention, you can order your customized biothane horse color or collars from the Distance Depot. Got it. Any so, color you want. So how do you train them to not freak out uh, when? Um, well, what I started with is I would still put, you know, have a halter on the horse so that if you needed to, you could still, you know, grab onto the halter. And I just started using the the collar around home. You know, I would lead the horse with it. Then I would practice tying the horse with it, practice putting them on their um high line or trailer tie with it. Um, then I would work up 
um, you know, walking them around the neighborhood in it a little bit uh, and then proceed to lunge them in it and do practice trot outs with it um, and then just get them used to using it. Now that mine are, you know, obviously they've used it for so many years. It's um, it's just it's a real handy thing to have. And they're not but, expensive either. No, they're not. Yeah. They're not. You know, but it and it's it's an added convenience, but I also consider it a safety feature, you know, for those that have horses that they're camping out with overnight. But it it's only gonna be safe if you practice, practice, practice at home first to make sure your horse can handle it. Um, you know, and I always advise people if they're kind of new to traveling and camping with horses to let their horse camp out on their trailer overnight at home before they go out and, and do it at an event where there's other horses and other stuff to get excited over. <laughs> um, you know, so just practice, 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 do everything at home over and over um, before um, you go somewhere with your horse and have your horse embarrass you. <laughs> <laughs> or the horse gets We've hurt, which that. is bad too. Yes, yeah. we don't want any horses to get hurt, that's for sure. And, you know, and, and granted, you know, if you have an over-exuberant horse that gets real forward, you may still want to put a halter on to go do your vet check. Um, I had to do that at Tevis last time with with Bo. He, he got down there to the vet inn and started spinning circles around me. <laughs> so I had to go back and get a halter. <laughs> uh, but the rest of the time, he's just no problem. You know, it's just that one ride. He gets so wound up. <laughs> and uh, you, when do you head out next uh, with one of yours? This, this weekend, I have a 50 up in Reno. I've got the 10-year-old junior riding with me on Bo, and uh, and then another ride, hopefully, two weeks after that. Now, working on getting Bo to 10,000 miles. He's like about 9,700 oh, really? right, right now. Wow. Uh -huh. Really close. So, yeah. Yeah. So close. And you, you, uh, you, you said that you've been... Uh, you, did you you haven't ridden in like the last month though have you um let me see no the ride i normally was going to do in august got canceled um because i believe the water levels were so high from this winter and there were a lot of washouts of the trail and the water crossings were too dangerous so that one ride i would have done got canceled um and then we also went up to Idaho to watch the full eclipse. Oh wow! Okay, and so we were that seems like ten years ago now, that. doesn't it? it? It does. And but that was kind of a blast. Our group um, of friends and family, um, we rented an entire campground just for our group, and so uh, we we got to camp out with all of our friends for a few days and family and and watch the totality. Of, of the eclipse, which is a, for most of us, it's a once in a lifetime experience. And it was pretty darn cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just also wanted to, we had talked about the fires earlier. I just got a report. I, I was asking Debbie Lauks of the Horsemanship Radio Show about Flag is Up Farm, Monty Roberts' place. 
And she says, we're good here, but we have friends that we helped horses evacuate and move them onto their own pastures. One friend lost all her tack and supplies, but saved her horse. So mm-hmm. um, so I think we're going to be hearing lots of stories like that coming out, because that's horse country where a, lot of, where a lot of these fires are. All right, we are going to head off now to Kristen at Distance Depot. She shows up here every month to talk about something cool. Good morning, Kristen. Good morning, Karen and Glenn. How are you? Good. So, Kristen, what are we talking about this month from Distance Depot? Well, I thought in light of um, some of these crazy weather tragedies that have been going on all over the country, we might talk about some safety equipment for your horse. Okay, that's a good plan right now. Good idea. Yes. Well, um, we have quite a few things, actually, when I started to look. Um, One of the first things that came to mind were the grease pens, as we know them from the endurance rides, or livestock markers, Mm -hmm. as they're called formally. Um, The grease pen stays on your horse really well, so you can mark it, obviously, at the endurance rides. They use it to put the horse's number on. But you can write anything, your phone number, um, very visible, hard to get off, actually. It is. <laughs> For anyone that, that's ever had to get that off in between rides so you could change it the It comes off on our blankets just great. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, that's true, your white saddle pads. <laughs> but um, it's non-toxic and highly visible, um, easy to put on, and um, we have convenient grease pens and, and lots of fun, bright colors, too. I know some people aren't, you know, we're talking about writing stuff on their hooves and so on, but if they're in the mud and water and and so on, you're not going to see that. So um, these are pretty, would be pretty useful, I would think. Exactly. And you can write a phone number, you know, on both sides of your horse's rump and it'll be highly visible. Yes. Yep. A couple other um, items that we have by um, Sierra View Ranch. They have products out, which um, they call ice clips, ice, standing for in case of emergency. Um, the first clip that they came out with has a scissor snap on the end, and then on a piece of nylon is attached um, a waterproof piece of material that you can write the horse's name, your address, phone number um, with a black Sharpie mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't come off, and you can clip it onto your saddle or onto a halter. Um, For those of us who aren't terribly comfortable leaving halters on horses, um, they came out with a mainstay. So it's a device, again, with the nylon and the same plastic waterproof um, place where you can write your horse's information um, and or your phone number. It has a pull-down clip, so sort of a a mechanism that you can slide down, take a lock of hair that will, uh, it will clip onto a lock of the horse's mane, and then it will slide up and lock onto his hair. Oh, neat. Um, It's fire, basically fireproof, um, so, you know, very good in situations. It's like having a fireproof safe on your horse's neck. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And and all of his information, you know. And, and I don't have to braid it in, I because I'm not good at that. No. No. Good. No. It, good. it just has this little clip. You slide down this piece, and it has a little Jennifer. I could do that one onto the hair. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. It's pretty easy to use. 
and I I received one of these as a completion award at a ride. So I just wanted to mention for ride managers out there that these make great completion awards. Absolutely. Um, Their newest one that they have has a carabina on the end. So you can make a braid in the horse's hair. It's ultra light, which is its name. Um, and again, the same safety waterproof um, place for you to put your horse's information. The carabina will go right into a braid, so as long as the braid is there, and it's super light, so easy for the horse to wear, not going to bother him whatsoever. In fact, endurance riders are using them, um, you know, while camping out at a ride and so on. So mm-hmm. multi, multi um, u- usable for sure. Um, a couple of other things um, that we do offer, we have the Glowflex Safety Collar, which has a, it's not a biothane material, but it glows in the dark, um, and we give you a little, it Velcros around the horse's neck, a little different than what Karen was talking about. Um, of course, we have those biothane neck collars, too, um, but the Glowflex Safety Collar glows at night and has an area where you can, again, take a black marker and put a phone number on it. Um, and Velcros around the neck, so fairly safe, too. Great. So those are just a few of the things um, that we have to keep your horse safe in an emergency. And these are things people should plan ahead and order, Absolutely. you know, well ahead of time so that they have them, you know, ready and prepared for every horse um, that they've got. Um, or, yeah. y- you know, you could even use the, these on other animals as well. During Irma, we sold out of the clips so quickly. People were buying, you know, they have 10 horses, so they were buying so many and trying to next day air them and stuff. But if the post offices and and UPS and so on can't get to you, um, we can't get them to you quick enough. So, yeah, absolutely a good thing to have on hand. And, you know, that goes for anybody. Uh, You know, these fires came up so quickly in California. We had plenty of time and warning for Irma. But so many things happened, tornadoes and all of that stuff. We just need to be prepared all the time. Absolutely. Yeah, which which we don't usually as a species do very well. (laughs) (laughs) I know, but once you've been evacuated... um, I think you become better prepared, don't don't you think so, Glenn? Yes, I think so. Yes. I think so. you know, and you learn each time too. You learn. I should have done that. I should have done this. We could have done that better. Um, you know, you do learn things, but unfortunately, you don't want to learn them too late either. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, um, Kristen, tell us if anybody's interested in these items, how would they go about ordering them from you? can visit our website, www.thedistancedepot.com, or give us a call toll-free, 866-863-2349. Thank you, Kristen. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kristen. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That is a good, timely one to talk about, for sure. Well, now we're switching gears again a little bit, and we're going to talk to a champion. Yes, the 2017 AERC National Miler 100-mile winner was uh, Gwen Hall writing uh, Size Doesn't Matter, (laughs) an 11-year-old gray Arabian gelding, and they finished the ride in 11 hours and 21 minutes. So um, good morning, Gwen. How are you? Good morning. Doing good this morning. Just cold here in Colorado. (laughs) How cold is it? Uh, well, let's see. It was 77 on Sunday, and it's 17 this morning. <laughs> oh wow, that is chilly. 
It's a bipolar state. You never know what you're going to get. Wow. <laughs> kind of like Nevada. Okay, so I have to interrupt, and if you've listened to this show at all, Gwen, you know I'm going to ask you about your horse's name and how that came about. Um, I wish I had the answer to that. Um, he was bred by Joe Powell when he bought Line Dancer, oh, obviously a number of years ago, and his brother had a horse named So Big Is Better, who you may have heard of <laughs> from Flat Track Racing. So I suspect that it was probably a little something between the Powell brothers, but I've never got the story on it. And your announcers at races love to call that name. There's just certain names you really want to call, and that's one of them. <laughs> well, I admit it attracted me when I went to look at buying him because I'm very short, and I was teased about that a lot as a kid, and that name just seemed perfect. <laughs> and kind of helps my purchase. Is that. your horse average size, or is he short too? He's actually good sized. He's a little over fifteen one. Yeah, that's uh-huh. pretty good size actually. For an Arab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. how did you come to get him? Um, well, I actually went up to Arapaho track. I had just started becoming interested in endurance riding. I had done some refresher riding lessons with Joanne Pavlis, who at the time was here in Colorado. And she had a line dancer stallion who has an absolutely fabulous disposition. She puts kids on that horse for riding lessons. And I just, I loved the build of what I saw with them. And she said, well, you know, there's horses up at Arapahoe. And so I went to look and I just fell in love with him. And Dick Reed was good enough to work with me on purchasing him. And we've been best buddies ever since. So I I see on your profile picture a, a, also a photo of you crossing the finish line at Tevis. What made you yes. want to go do Tevis? Oh, how could I not want to do Tevis? <laughs> that is the Boston Marathon of Endurance. And um, it was interesting. I, I got my start in endurance actually as an ultra marathoner. And so I knew of Tevis indirectly because of Western States uh-huh. and through injuries and life and various other things. I never made it to Western States, but I knew the history of Tevis. And uh, I knew the horse, he had, he's a mountain horse, and I knew he had a good shot at it. And so it was a way I got to the Western States Trail, and I knew he could do it. I just, I had no idea he would do as well as he did. Mm-hmm. So tell us, how does the trail at Tevis compare to the national championship that you just did? Um, well, there's, there's a lot of things in common actually with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're, they're somewhat, how can I say they're exactly the same, but different in a lot of ways. Um, they're both very rugged. Um, you really have to ride smart. It's not a race that you can go out and just ride hard with no, um, understanding of what you're going to be asking your horse to do. You have to plan accordingly. Tevis, um, you've got, of course, the heat of the canyons. You've got the steep downhills. But for the most part, they've done such a great job of maintaining that trail that with the exception of a few areas, the, the course is actually, I think, mentally easy on the horses. Uh, whereas National Championship, while we don't have as many of the long hills, I mean, there's certainly a lot of them, it's much more rugged. So the horses really have to be, I think, mentally a little more engaged. 
And they really have to be able to switch gears. There was a fair number of flat open areas. The first mm-hmm. 20 miles, for example, of the national championship was open road. Um, you could really easily, if you're not careful, use your horse up in the first 20 miles. And then all of a sudden you've got mountains staring you in the face when mm-hmm. it's the third loop you're doing, I think, an elevation change of roughly 9,000 to 11,000 feet. Um, and very slow, very technical. Um, trotting is really about the fastest pace that you can go through there. So they're very similar in that respect. It, it requires strategy and, and thinking about the course, what you're asking your horse to do. Right. And how far was the national championship from you? Oh, a lot closer. It's only about <laughs> 150 miles away. Oh, so just, sweet. <laughs> it, it's a two-hour drive. It was lovely. That's definitely nice. Definitely nice. And so do you have any ideas on on what we might be able to do as a sport to get more people interested in doing the national championship? Well, I mean, I I did give a number of suggestions. AERC reached out, I think, to, I don't think they reached out to everyone or just people who had gone to the national championship is what we could do. Um, And my thoughts are, one, um, having it, if possible, at a consistent time of the year, so people always know when it is mm-hmm. and can like Tevis. Focus their well, that's a draw for t- right. Exactly, like Tevis, you know, it's going to be within this like two week window every year because that's when the full uh-huh. moon is. So I think that will help. Um, part of it is building the prestige, and Tevis, like I say, it's like Boston Marathon. It's its name alone and its history gives it the prestige national championship has to develop that prestige. And I think they can maybe take some, um, things that went on with the race of champions. Um, we want to be very careful, I think, and not encouraging people to race for awards, but even doing something maybe where there are high value awards, but make it as like a raffle where you have to be entered, but it's not dependent on, um, whether you place well, whether you win, whether you even finish, but you have to be there to get it, mm-hmm. would increase the draw on people. And then as more people come, the prestige will build with it. But that's just a thought. Right, right. And so what did you like about the trail this year? Um, I Well, of course, it was in my backyard. I love that aspect. Yes. Uh, but it was challenging. Sure. It wasn't a wide open trail. Tennessee did an absolutely fabulous job of marking that trail and getting that trail ready in two years. There was no trail there for two, two years ago. Um, when she bought the property, when she worked with the landowners, I mean, she has spent countless hours building that 130 mile trail system. And she has really done an amazing job with that. Um, there was a lot of variety. You had like say flat and open, you had technical, you had steep hills. There was, Honestly, there was something for everybody um, on that course. So, you know, if you're a flat and open person, you had plenty of places to do that. If you like the technical, you have plenty of opportunity for that. We couldn't have had better weather. I mean, every life can't you can't plan the weather, right? Um, right. But it was absolutely perfect. Um, it was a. I, I would love. I love riding this trail. It's a great course. So what's up next for you? What what are your next plans? Um, well, for this particular horse, he's he's on vacation right now. 
Um, we'll start tuning up again over the winter. I am actually hoping to try and qualify him for WEG. Unfortunately, we have a rather limited number of 100-mile opportunities to mm -hmm. get his COC that are accessible to me, and they're unfortunately dwindling. Um, so his next opportunity won't be till April. Um, so I'm hoping for that, and we will see what happens there. I think it's the WEG course this year is a good course for him and that it's very technical, hilly. Uh -huh. um, it's a horse that I think he's well-suited for. Um, but other than that, I've got a young filly who's, well, I couldn't call her young anymore. She's now five coming six that I've raised from 10 months old and she's starting her endurance career. Um, so I'm looking very forward to going back to Moab. I am so happy that ride is back this year. Um, and so I'm going to introduce her to Moab. Okay. And so tell me, do you have any advice for a new rider starting out? If they want to set a hundred miler as a goal, you know, what, what kind of things should they, you know, kind of try to get ready as far as preparation goes, you know, the, the goal setting and that sort of thing? Oh, gosh, that is a really <laughs> wide topic there. Um, it is. <laughs> I, think, I think half the preparation is the rider. Um, for many people, I think there is a mental barrier. In going that far, I think we have a lot of really good horses in this country. I think we've got a lot of horses that could do that distance. And as riders, maybe we lack the uh, confidence in believing in our mounts and their ability to do that. It's, it's challenging. Um, you're asking the horse, obviously, to do something it would have absolutely no reason to want to do under normal <laughs> circumstances. Um, and so it's realizing that just like a human ride, your horse is going to go through highs and lows during the ride. And mm -hmm. especially as you build distances, um, and it's, it's coming, whether the horse is just reaching that mental barrier and has to learn to break through, or is there really a problem? And that's where horsemanship really comes into play and knowing your horse. I've found so far with every horse, and, and I don't have extensive experience by any means, but the horses that I've done, I found are very much like people. So like as a human marathoner, you expect to hit a wall around mile 18 to 20. I found in the horse in the first 50 miles, they hit a wall usually around mile 40. Mm -hmm. And that's a normal experience. And then as you go to 75, they hit a wall again around mile 65. And then as you go to 100, they hit a wall again about mile 80. And it's, it's a normal progression. And it's knowing that, yes, your horse is going to do these things. Don't be scared by it. Expect it. And know that you as a partner have to be there for them to encourage them to get through. And when they break through that barrier and they make that completion, you watch them grow, um, not just physically, but in their confidence and mentally. And the horse knows, hey, I can do this. And it's amazing right. to watch that development. I know. I love when she's so done a hundred on a horse. They're they're mentally so awesome after they've done a hundred, aren't they? Oh, oh yeah. They come out feeling like Superman. They really do. <laughs> they do. So I watched okay. um, my horse. He used to be bottom of the pecking order in the pasture. He's in a in a pasture with multiple horses. 
And he came back after his first hundred and he's like, no, I'm the man. Y'all follow me now. <laughs> Good for him. And it's, it was amazing to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have one more question for you. Of all the rides you've done, which one is your favorite? Oh, that's a hard, hard question. Um, <laughs> They're favorites for different reasons. So give us two. They are. Uh, Tavis is a huge favorite. Um, like I said, it's just, it's the prestige of that ride. It's so well run. I mean, it's, it's the volunteers, it's the cheering makes made that a favorite. Um, and then honestly, as far as terrain, um, as feeling a sense of accomplishment after a ride, I have to say my other favorite was the 2013 national championship ride at, um, in Idaho. I enjoyed the course, but for both of us, it was a huge building ride. And I just have really good feelings from Uh that ride, not just in the way it was run, but in, in the breakthrough that I felt as a rider and as my horse felt. And I had such encouragement on that ride. Um, Rusty Toth, Kevin Myers, unfortunately, who we lost, um, who Kevin, especially, he gave me the courage to want to go try a hundred miler. I didn't think I was ready. I didn't think my horse was ready. And he's like, your horse could go do a hundred miler tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And you did. And that really set us on our path. Great. And we did, we went and did a hundred later that year. And, um, if it hadn't been for that, I don't know where we'd be. <laughs> Well, we want to congratulate you on your win and your success and uh, wish you uh, well on your upcoming goals and the rest of the ride season. And and thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Bye, Gwen. Have a great day. Well, there you go. So, you know, I was I was listening to that conversation and the one thing we've learned about endurance riders over the last four years we've been doing this is the variety of people coming from all different occupations Mm -hmm. and and all different walks of life. Right. I mean, it really does attract everybody. It it does. And it attracts people with all different breeds of horses. And, um, you know, sometimes like she was mentioning, you just need somebody to give you that little bit of encouragement to get out there and, and, you know, take on some of these rides because, you know, you create such a neat, um, you know, memory bank. I have so many great memories of all of the rides, all of the friends I've made while riding, you know, like on a 50 or a hundred or even, um, a shorter distance ride. Um, you might ride with a few different people, and and that's always kind of fun. You know, you get to know people in a different way than you would, you know, in the rest of your life. Um, and and so that's that's kind of a, a fun a fun thing to build up all those memories and it and you know adventures. Every ride is an adventure, even if you've done it before. You know, you're gonna have. A, you know, a different day, the weather's going to be different from year to year, your horses, you are, you're going to ride with different people. And and so, you know, I think we all look forward to, to the new adventures, the next adventures. And, and we do this because our horses love to go down the trail. 
Well, let's uh, take a break for a song, and then we're going to come back. We have okay. another person that's on an adventure, and that's Sarah. Sure, her adventure is trying to make the WEG team, and yes. apparently she uh, made a step towards that. We're going to talk to her about that. Uh, we also have to hear about Renegade, but we'll do all of that after Marianne Kennedy with Horses and Life. We'll be right back. Horses in life It's all the same to me The reason that my heart keeps Beating inside Horses in life This passion was born at birth Until my last day on earth It'll be
Well, that's Mary Ann Kennedy with Horses and Life. You can find all of her music at maryannkennedy.com. Well, we know that you guys can't do your rides unless you have foot protection, and that's not for you, but for your horse. And Karen's going to tell us about that as soon as she comes off a mute. Then she can talk. Or not. I'm back. I had to get more coffee. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> that was a fast four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a slow <laughs> coffee maker. So tell us about Renegade. Renegade hoof boots are my favorite brand of hoof boots. I've been using them for several thousand miles on both of my horses. Um, they do really well in them. They're easy to use, made in the USA. I've even got the junior rider trained to using them. And I mention that every month just simply because I want people to know that they are so easy that a 10-year-old can use them um, to so put them on. So if a 10-year-old can off. do it, you can do it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I like the strap-on boots. I, I feel that they're a little bit more forgiving. I, I use size twos on the fronts of both of my horses. Um, now, do you use all four or just the fronts? <laughs> well, it depends. For training rides, I sometimes just do the fronts. I also do ride barefoot uh, quite a bit on some you know, conditioning rides, which which the nice thing about Renegade is they actually encourage that because they want you to have healthy barefoot horses. And the benefit of doing that is that it keeps my horse's feet, uh, you know, toughened up. So if I'm on a ride and happen to have a boot break or, or come off for some reason, I don't have to worry that my horse is going to come up sore because They've been conditioned all along to be comfortable going barefoot. Now, of course, I do use common sense. I don't go out running them over the top of a bunch of. I was rocks just going to say it depends on terrain. I would think. Yeah. It, yes, I'm. I'm like much more in, careful here in Florida. If you're not on the road, you're on sand. So I mean, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so you know I'm you know using a little bit of common sense there to to keep the horses you know so that they're sound um, in all conditions whether they have boots on or not. Uh, but the boots are nice. They're very easy to use. The horses are comfortable in them. Um, trying to think of, of any other features. Oh, yes, the glue-on models they use. Um, like I had mentioned earlier in the show, the, the two riders that just finished first in the AHA Distance Nationals were wearing the glue-on boots. And they also come in several great colors, so you can match them to your tack. Several? There's like a ton. <laughs> it's great. And so to learn more about Renegades, go to renegadehoofboots.com. And if there's anybody that matches eventers and colors, it's you guys. <laughs> Definitely. Endurance yeah. riders are all about their colors. <laughs> but you don't have to wear formal anything, which is so nice. No, and you can, t I've got friends and they take pride in not having anything match at all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you can do that too. Kaleidoscope of colors. And there's no judge sitting at the sidelines going, uh, your white is not white enough. Yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, exactly. Yes. You very rarely see an endurance rider wearing white anything. tights or breeches. No. Because <laughs> it's not just going to be brown. Anymore. Before long. Well, we have uh, we have a returning guest with us and somebody that we're so excited to follow this year. Right, we do. We have Sarah Schick back. We've spoken with her before. She's been trying to get herself and her horse ready to qualify for WAG. Uh, so, um, good job, Sarah, on the ride this weekend. How are you doing? 
I'm good. I'm just almost to the point where I can walk up and down stairs normally again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's good. It's only Tuesday. So we're good. We're good. Yes. Every endurance rider knows you go down the stairs backwards. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'll have to try that. I've I've been going down the normal way, so I'll have to try it the other Just way. Try going backwards <laughs> for the better. first Yeah, the first day or two usually helps. <laughs> <laughs> of course most home, most horse women I know are pretty klutzy, so I, I I have to put a disclaimer, we don't recommend you going down the stairs backwards. I'm just saying. <laughs> That's also true. <laughs> yes, just be careful. Well, welcome back to the show and tell us about the ride this weekend that you just did? Um, so we just finished um, an FEI two-star in Shamong, New Jersey, um, which is a tiny little place probably most folks have never heard of. It was really hot. You know, you would think for the beginning of October, we'd have some nice cool fall weather. No, it was 85 degrees and humid and swampy. Oh, boy. Um, and is, is your horse flat, getting a, a winter coat? Ride. Yes. Yeah, okay. I actually did have to um, clip him a little bit. We were just going to complete. I wasn't really trying to race competitively or anything. We just needed to complete the miles. So I only clipped him a little bit on his neck. So that way, once it does cool off in another week or two, um, he still has most of his winter coat coming in and he mm-hmm. won't be without that. Um, it's mostly flat up there. And uh, we actually had a lot of sand and a lot of deep sand, which is a little bit unusual. They haven't had much rain to compact that down. Um, so it was flat, but it was still a challenging ride. And how many riders were there? We actually had 29 riders on Saturday. It was a two-day event. So on Saturday, there were 29 riders in the 75 or the FEI two-star. Uh, there were about 25 in the 50, and I think there were only 12 in the, um, the limited distance, which is 25 miles. So that's okay. a little unusual. Usually the most folks are in the 50, but there are a lot of folks there trying to work on their qualifications. So there were more in the 75. Wow. And how did you finish? We finished mid-pack. Uh, I got to ride all day uh, with a few of my friends, Holly Corcoran and Nikki Mutant. And we just, our horses got along and we clipped along at a good rate and enjoyed the day. Great. So tell us, what have you done in the, last few weeks leading up to that ride? Oh, really? As far I knew we were getting into flattened. As far as what? As far as the conditioning. Yeah. So I knew um, I've been to this ride before. It's been quite a few years just because it's not usually on my normal schedule because Fort Valley is up in the mountains and that's a couple of weeks. So I did more flat training uh, and a lot of steady pace stuff. So thankfully, you know, I live where it's flat, but I go an hour up and then I get rolling Hills. And if I want to get mountains, I have to go a couple hours. Uh, but we would, I would take them out. We have some areas around here that have some good sand footing to practice or just some flat stuff and go long and steady and try and build that conditioning so that he would kind of hit that cardio maintenance level of work, um, for longer periods of time. So 10, 20 miles, um, do a couple 15-mile loops, stuff like that. And then I actually, the weekend before the ride, I just take him out for a very easy, you know, 45 minutes to an hour stretch out. I don't really, it's too late really to put on the stop point. Um, so just took him out with some folks from the barn, and we went on a nice easy stretch around the, the local farm fields and did that. And then the week leading up to the ride, um, I started to preload, give him some extra electrolytes the Wednesday and Thursday before we took the trip up to New Jersey. And, and what was your ride time? I'm just wondering, did you get to spend any time riding in the dark? 
Yes. So I want to, we finished around seven o'clock, a little after seven o'clock at night, which was right after the sun went down. Uh Um, So we really didn't spend too much time in the dark, which was great. Uh, You know, we we weren't racing, you know, we weren't going really, really fast, but we were able to make enough time to where we didn't spend too much time in the dark. Um, I did have my headlamp on. We could see the trail fine. I actually didn't even turn my headlamp on until the last couple of miles. And the reason <laughs> for that was because um, there was a lot of overgrowth on the edges of the trail where the sand was flatter, where we were trying to stay. And I kept getting hit in the faces with tree branches. <laughs> oh, that'll do it. <laughs> so finally, after I hit the third branch or so, Nikki looks over at me and she's like, maybe you should turn on your headlamp so you can see those. <laughs> Did you hit the night so of the nice incredible moon? Were you there for that incredible moon? Um, because that was bright as all get that out. That was actually the night. That was the night before. Oh, wow. Um, so we missed that, but we, we did see it the night before while we were camping. It yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was like daylight. It was <laughs> so bright. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we really didn't need a lot of light out there other than to dodge obstacles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So, so now- last time... Yeah, go ahead. ahead, I was just going to ask about the WAG. So where does this put you as far as qualifications for WAG and Tryon? So at this point, we are completely qualified to basically try out in the spring. Um, So there will be, they haven't announced when or where it's going to be. It'll probably be after May because everybody has until May to reach all of those (laughs) qualifications. Um, So it'll be between May and September, obviously. They'll have some sort of selection event which is basically like a team tryout where anyone who is qualified can go and uh, try out with their horse and their crew. They actually judge your crew and everything too. And then they can figure out a long list and start narrowing down who they want to take the way. And now the test event was supposed to be happening right now, actually. Uh, and they moved that back because they just weren't ready. And it, as I understand it, and you can correct me, it's still going to be in April. Yes. Yeah, so it's not exactly a test event. It's not a selection event. Um, the test event in Tryon was really just to um, check the trails right. and the venue. Right. And it was more of more of a test run to see how things are going to go on race day. Right. So they had it scheduled for this past weekend and there was some construction going on on the jumping venues and the, in the stadiums and stuff. So they had to move it and they've actually moved it to the last weekend in April. Okay, so tell us what were the qualifications f- for um, qualifying? So you have your horse has to first reach the three star level, which is an FEI hundred. So they have to do their one star, which is a fifty, and then two star and then three star. All of those are just completion. So you just have to complete those distances, and then after that, you need um, a, three more rides. Yes, three more rides, and one of those, they have to be 75 miles or higher, and one of those rides does have to be 100 miles, and it has to be at COC pace, um, Certificate of Completion. Basically, what that means is that it's a fast 100, so you have to do it at 14 kilometers per hour, uh, which in American terms (laughs) ends up being about just under under nine and a half miles an hour uh, average for the entire 100 mile. That's pretty fast. Yeah, it's pretty quick. So most, I, I folks, mean, f- um, like for we fast got, for those that are used to mountain trails, as I should add. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's that's why most folks that um, are working on their hundred mile COC go to a ride like, say, Broxton Bridge Plantation, uh, which they have one scheduled for next month, 
where it's, you know, flat, it's, it's sand, very, very light sand. There's not a lot of deep stuff and you can just move out all day. Um, so most folks, and they're trying to get a hundred mile COC completion, they'll go to a ride like that where it's a lot easier to knock it out. So how far are you away from where WAG is going to take place? It's about six hours. I want to okay. say I haven't actually <laughs> GPSed it yet, but it's, um, it's probably maybe closer between six to eight. Um, okay. It's about six hours for me to get to Biltmore, and I think it's another hour down the road from that. Right. So last time we talked, we there were a couple of things we I remember covering, and one was your horse's feet. How how are things going on that front? Things are going great. You know, one of my mottos is "Don't fix what ain't broke," <laughs> and uh, I went back to what was working before and what wasn't broke. <laughs> so I went to, back to uh, my previous farrier, Charlie, uh, who is wonderful. You know, he, I have to travel to my friend's house, which is about an hour away to, uh, so that we can pair up together and he can work on both of our horses, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a bit of a hassle, but eh, you know what, if, you, if that's what you got to do to uh, get the right work done, then we got to make it happen and keep his feet healthy. So since I did that, everything has been absolutely great. Terrific. And you also were planning on doing a ride and tie, weren't you? How, how did that turn out? Uh, it went great. So I paired up with Lynn Gilbert and we did the world championship ride and tie, which was up here in, on Old Dominion Trail up in the mountains. It was 35 very, very challenging miles. Our goal was to finish in less than eight hours. And I believe we did it in seven hours and 45 minutes. Um, and just kind of plugged along all day. I felt bad because she ended up running a lot more than I did because she's so <laughs> fast, the horse couldn't catch her. <laughs> but, uh, wow. but we got it done. And she actually did another ride and tie the following month uh, down at Iron Mountain. Wow. Do you plan on doing any more of them? Um, I wouldn't mind doing another one. My problem is that my horse um, is not so happy about the whole tying part <laughs> and being <laughs> While everybody else's horses run past him. So uh-huh. you know, if somebody had a great horse for it and asked me to partner up with them, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Um, but uh, yeah, he's, he's not so good at that. Yeah. You know, I imagine there's a lot of horses that wouldn't be good at that. <laughs> yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky for sure. And plus there's that whole, you know, you're leaving your horse by themselves tied to a tree in the middle of nowhere. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there's definitely a what could go wrong with that? Good. Nothing could go wrong with yeah, that. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but no, the horse we borrowed actually uh, has done a few, quite a few in the past. So he was pretty experienced at it, thankfully. Oh, good. Good. So, uh, Tell us again a little bit about your own personal protocol for keeping yourself fit. Um, So I'm a little bit crazy. Uh, (laughs) I like to do, um, you know, I grew up as a competitive swimmer, so I kind of have that, you know, always training for something mentality and background. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I like to do, I've gotten into a lot of running stuff and triathlons. Um, so during the summer, I'll do a couple triathlons. Like last year, I did two half Ironman. Wow. Um, and then this summer, I did three or four Olympic distances. And then for I'll do a couple half marathons during the year, too. So actually, my friend Karen and I, who is also an endurance rider, we and my crew person, Janelle, who is with me at Tevis, 
we all, uh, three of us just completed the Shenandoah half marathon up in the park in September. And then Karen and I are getting ready to do the Richmond half marathon next month. Um, so generally, you know, I, I work out a lot, uh, anywhere from five to six days a week. And it'll be, it's a lot of cardio for me with a little bit of strength training mixed in, but I'll get in anywhere from one to two hours a day of working out. That's a lot of time. (laughs) That's a real commitment. (laughs) You know, but, but it's true. I mean, people who have jobs and everything and then try and ride, they barely have time to get on their horses, let alone do all that training too. It's, uh, it's just, I think, you know, even motivation time is more of a factor that stops people. A lot of people are motivated and just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's, you know, it's also, you have to remember, I have the one horse that I'm working with right now, whereas a lot of folks um, have multiple horses that they have to work. So if I had multiple horses that I was training and conditioning right now, that schedule might look a lot different. I also work from home three days a week. Um, so that leaves me time in the morning to get those workouts knocked out before the workday really starts up and gets going. And whereas most people have to commute and drive into the office and things like that. Karen works out like that every day. She's been running half marathons every month. And... Hard, hardly. And although, <laughs> although I did get a yoga ball. I'm working on my flexibility. Oh, there you I'm, go. <laughs> I'm finding, um, you know, as I get older, the getting on and off from the ground part gets harder because I don't girth really tight on my horses. So I'm definitely learning I need to put out more effort and be more like Sarah. <laughs> Or ride a lot of trails where there's tree stumps to crawl onto. Well, I, I trust me, I take advantage of every little thing that sticks up to stand on to get on. I do. That's right. So I have one more one more question for you, which I asked the last guest is: Do you have any advice or encouragement for an aspiring new rider or someone that wants to get moved up into doing the longer distance rides? Um. Oh man, I have so so many positive things to say, but uh, the the best thing you can do is find a mentor, find um, you know another experienced rider, even if they're not close to you or in your area, um, that can help encourage you and, and coach you through it. And really, just one of the things we like to say a lot to some of the newer riders around us is just go ride your horse. You know, don't don't overthink it too much. Mm-hmm. Go get in the saddle and get out there on trail and, and ride your horse. You'll get the conditioning that way as well as the knowledge and, and you'll figure everything out as well as form that partnership from the hours in the saddle. So really that's the best thing you can do. Well, we want to wish you good luck and uh, best wishes and congratulations on your um, qualifying ride this weekend. And we look forward to keeping up and following you all the way through WAG. Great. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Okay, I feel fat and lazy. How about you? (laughs) 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 Well, you know, I just want to show, you know, there's different levels of writers in this sport. Uh, She's aspiring to be towards, you know, at the top there, which takes more effort. I mean, it, it, it really does. And she's, um, you know, she's doing what needs to be done in order to, to reach her goals, which I think is awesome. Yeah, you and, know, and uh, when you get to WAG level, I mean, basically you're talking Olympic level competition. Yes, so, you know, you, yes. you, you, you've got to, and, but yes. I also have been hearing on all the shows we do about all the different disciplines that fitness in the last 
I would say three years of the rider has really started to become more in the forefront and more uh-huh. are taking it seriously than ever took it seriously before. Right. Right. Yes. I noticed, you know how I really notice it is when the 10 year old can climb up on my 15 one hand horse, like a little <laughs> monkey from the ground and I'm using a mounting block, and still, you know, it's like, oh, geez. It's like, I remember when I could get on like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That we, uh, Those of us of our age have that problem. It's an issue. Exactly. Yes, yes. I, you, you know, and you need to be able to on endurance ride. You never know when you're going to need to get off for whatever reason, and then there's nothing to stand on. Yeah, and you're in the desert, and the cactus is not the ideal thing. Um, Right. So, (laughs) yes, it really pays. i got to work on my balance and my strength training, and, um, you know, just trotting all day long I can do. It's the other stuff I'm finding now that I'm over 50 that I need to really concentrate on, on working on. So, these people are, you know, great inspirations you know, for me, it, they give me the encouragement to, um, you know, get my butt out there and do the work it takes and, and get it done. Well, you know, we've had a lot of our listeners over the last couple of years because of this show, uh, try an endurance ride. And of course, if you want to try one, you don't have to do 100 miles. Matter of fact, you're not going to do 100 miles. You're going to get started at the lower levels. And where can people find out about that and how to get started if people just want to give it a try, no matter oh, yes, what it, breed or make or model of horse they have? Exactly, or distance you want to ride. The, some of the rides start out with intro rides that can just be a handful of miles, you know, eight miles, 15 miles. You've got the limited distance rides, which are usually 25, 30, or 35 miles. Then you have, you know, 50s, 75s, 100s. There's multi day rides, um, you know, where you do uh, 50 miles a day from anywhere from three, four, or five days. Uh, in a row, which, you know, most people need to build themselves up as well as their horses. But you can start out. Talk about not walking steps for a week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, I go down backwards. <laughs> Much On those days, do you ask, why do I do this? Does that ever come well, to your mind? It, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> but, you know, if you're going to fall down, it's Sometimes it's better not to face plant going down. Oh, that's true. That's true. You might as well land on your butt, right? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) where all the padding is at. (laughs) Exactly. So go to aerc.org, look up, they have a list of mentors in every state or region where you can find somebody that is close to you, or many of the people like um, some of our guests had mentioned, you can find someone that even if they're not close to you, you can strike up, um, you know, instant messages or email conversations and and get advice and encouragement. And and like Sarah had said, don't overthink things. Just go out and ride. Um, One of the the ways I first got started in the sport, I actually put a notice up in the local feed store saying, does anybody want to ride with me? (laughs) And I actually... Um, met people that I that came and rode with me and we're still friends to this day. And, uh, you know, so you just have to be a little bit creative. But, you know, being able to use social media and the internet really can help you connect with people as long as you don't spend too much time connecting on social media and turn it off and go get on and your actually horse. Ride or ride. Or, just like she said, just like Sarah said, just ride your horse. Get out there and do it. it Exactly. Now, exactly. you um, also, 
we should qualify too. You don't have to have an Arab. I mean, at the lower levels, there are people writing on anything and everything. You don't. And and writers actually all the way through the 100-mile level of multi-days are riding on lots of other breeds of horses, Mustangs, Tennessee Walkers, Rocky Mountain Horses, um, mixed breeds. Appaloosas? So, you, know, you don't need to – yeah, you, exactly. You don't need uh, – ponies even. You don't need um, to have an Arab. Um, Arabs just make it a little easier, I think. Yeah. <laughs> or not. Or not. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> One or the other. They're not always that easy. <laughs> <laughs> and that you can find that at aerconline.org is where you can find the ride calendar to check it out today. And of course, we always say about anything you're looking at getting into, the best way to do it is go out and volunteer at a show or an event uh, exactly. for, for once or twice before you actually get into it. I think you'll know after volunteering whether you actually want to do it. Um, and that gives you a better idea of actually what's going on, too. Well, Karen, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to hear past episodes of the Endurance episode, then just head over to HorsesInTheMorning.com. On the homepage, if you scroll down, you're going to see the little Endurance logo. Click on that, and it brings you to all of the past episodes at HorsesInTheMorning.com. And, of course, the best way to listen to any of our shows is on our app, iOS or Android. Download it today. It's free and it's easy. Just search for Horse Radio Network. Karen, where can you be found? My blog is KarenChatton.com. And of course, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, Jamie is here. We're reading chapter nine of the book that we're going through, Lisa Wysocki's book, The Opium Equation. And we are doing, uh, we have a whole bunch of guests lined up for tomorrow. And then Thursday, Mary Kitzmiller is going to be back with her training episode, answering all kinds of listener questions. And Friday, It's Really Bad Ads is back. So get your ads into Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com. Get them in today. Jennifer at HorseRadioNetwork.com. We have some great prizes this month. So Get them in now. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Glenn and Jennifer. All right, everybody. We'll be back next month, second Tuesday of the month, for the endurance episode. 